Welcome to the Fish On Podcast. For all of you guys who are tuning in and watching this live on YouTube, and for the rest of you who are maybe listening to this on your favorite podcast streaming platform, thanks for tuning in. Today I've got uh, Ben with me, and we have fishing charter captain extraordinaire, Captain Joe Spence of Blue Rock Charters, joining us on the podcast tonight. How are you doing, Joe? Good, how are you? Is it weird that I literally just asked you this question off air, not realizing that we weren't live? There's a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll get you to tell us that lovely story that you just gave us about uh, you and Blue Rock Charters. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I run Blue Rock Charters. Uh, it's a local guide service. Uh, we do fishing trips basically year-round. So we do ice fishing trips in the winter, uh, mainly walleye, but we also do a little bit of pike and panfish. And uh, then once we transition to the boat, we start with lake trout, then work over to walleye pike and eventually bass and then back to walleye for the end of the season. Uh, but basically different species throughout the course of the year. Awesome, awesome, awesome. awesome. I think it's important to specify uh, Bayaquini walleye. It's not just any walleye. It's Bayaquini walleye. The world-class, world-class walleye. That's right. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. So, yeah, if you guys uh, haven't guessed from the title of this podcast, uh, we're going to be talking all about fishing guides and uh, specifically why they're important, even to you guys who might be experienced anglers, but more importantly, to the people who are thinking about just getting into it, whether it's ice fishing or regular fishing, why hiring a guide is so beneficial and so important because it can help you learn so, so much faster than if you were to just try and figure it out on your own, like I did. Um. <laughs> Joe, uh, the, I guess the main reason that you cycle through different species is probably because of our seasons, right? So that you can keep operating throughout, like when walleye closes, for example. Is that the main reason, or do you find, or do you sometimes go for different species because the client, or there's a hot time of year? So it's a combination of the two, for sure. Um, obviously, we have to follow the regulations as kind of the first priority when I set up trips. So um, certainly that contributes to it. That's why the early season boating is typically targeting lake trout, um, uh, just because they're open before walleye and pike and everything else starts to open. Um, and then once we're into the seasons where you know, pike and walleye are open. I offer people the option to kind of choose what they're looking to pre preferably target. Um, different lakes are different options. So I do some of the lakes, some of the trips on back lakes north of Kingston. I do some of them on Lake Ontario near Kingston. I do some of them on Bay Queenie. Some people want to do trips based on a specific location. They're, you know, they're staying in Belleville, so they want to do a trip closer to the Bay of Quinney because they're staying there. Or they're in Kingston and they don't want to travel to Bay of Quinney. They would rather fish closer to Kingston somewhere if that's an option kind of thing. So I get a bit of a mix that way, but I also get people who just are very specifically wanting to target a very specific species. They're looking to figure out how to catch trophy fish. And that's the other side of it as well, where you kind of mentioned even people who are experienced fishermen or women uh, want to, you know, be able to to learn how to fish the body of water where they have the opportunity to catch those huge fish. That's cool. That's really cool. Based on that answer, instead of going off topic here, I'll ask you this one. What is your, your favorite species to guide for? To guide for? Yeah. Um, I mean, walleye is what I do the majority of, and 
it's pretty fun. Um, I mean, I do really enjoy lake trout fishing. The uh, last couple seasons, I haven't really been able to uh, do guided trips at the start of the season because of COVID having my business shut down. Uh, so I'm hopeful that that's not going to be the case this year and everything's looking good. So uh, this will hopefully be the first season where I get to do that at the beginning of the year. But we had a lot of fun doing that last year and uh, in previous years. So hopefully that's really tanks. I saw, I saw those pictures. Uh, anybody listening to this, like check out Blue Rock Charter on Blue Rock Charters on Instagram, man, like the, the tankers that he was landing in those Lakers. Wow. Yeah. That was yeah, impressive, yeah. Man. I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm jealous. I've been trying to replicate your success and I've been oh, failing miserably at it <laughs> to troll for pretty much anything. So. <laughs> but Joe being the stand-up guy he is, is uh, always offer uh, quick to offer advice to. What's your most commonly uh, requested fish to, to target? What? Definitely walleye. Like I'm probably in like the seventy percent walleye trips of all the trips that I do. If I had to ballpark it, kind of thing, it's a it's a big percentage of what people are looking to do. Is it mostly experienced anglers or or a good good mix of new people, or is it tour a lot of tourist touristy kind of traffic too? It is a little bit of all of those things. Um, it definitely is different on the ice than it is in the boat. Um, when it comes to ice fishing, it is primarily people who are already pretty seriously into fishing, I feel like. I get the odd trip where people are like, it's their very first time ice fishing. Um, but I would say it's more than not people who are specifically looking to fish on Bay Quinney. They want to target big fish. They're hoping to get a giant while they're out there. They want to learn how to how to fish for them when they're on the bay. They want to make sure that where they're going out, it's going to be safe because there's lots of the areas of the bay that aren't safe. This year, we're fortunate enough to have a little better ice conditions than what we get in a typical year. But many years, there are there's a huge percentage of the bay that is not safe to be on so people want to make sure that they're going places where they're not going to have to worry about that and be able to go somewhere where somebody's already been there checked it out made sure that it's safe essentially that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah, yeah. that's cool. actually the perfect segue into the, the next uh, topic that i want to get into which is why hiring a guide is beneficial for everyone and many of the points that i wanted to talk about actually joe you just said about, um, you know, people like you are very, very familiar with the waters that you guide on because it's part of your job to do that. Um, so it's really like if you're going somewhere new to fish, the best thing you can do to learn that area is to hire a guide. Not so that you can go, you know, waypoint their spots where they take you to fish, but it's to, to learn how to read that specific body of water because as most of us know or ought to know, fishing in one body of water is not the same as fishing in another body of water. They're all, they'll have their own specific little ecosystems and little nooks and crannies of the body of water that you can fish in and find good fish or somewhere that looks like it might be good, but it isn't good. And guides, guides can teach you all kinds of stuff like that. You know, safety things, types of baits to use, techniques to use, you know, how to use those techniques as well, not just to tell you which ones to do, but they can show you how to do them as well. Um, and that's very, very beneficial for new anglers. Like I said, it can drastically reduce the speed at which it takes you to learn, or sorry, increase the speed at which you learn is what I meant to say there. 
there's also uh, something else that comes along with it, not just the knowledge, but the due diligence that um, uh, that Joe has already put in and the work that he's put in at, at locating the fish. You know, he's been on that water for days taking other trips out. You know, he's familiar where those fish are. He's got a better idea of where they may be moving. So there's that there's that prep work as well that you, you're paying for. You know, you're going out with somebody that's been on that water for the past week. Because as we know, you know, fishing can change on a body of water from week to day to month to hour, you know. Um, so there's also that, you know. It's yeah, absolutely. Bay Aquarius is certainly no exception to that. And uh, it is definitely the type of body of water where you can fish it for a couple of days. There can be fish there. You can go back to the exact same spot and they'll be gone all of a sudden. And it ends up being a you have to start covering water and figuring out what where they're going to to kind of pattern what the next move is so that you can try and stay on top of them the best you can yeah absolutely and of course and also, the, another another big benefit especially if you're new into fishing to hiring a guide is that you don't have to go purchase all that equipment uh you know the fishing rods the baits the fishing line the lures you know some kind of vessel to get out on the water or something like that right so at first glance, sometimes it can be like, oh, man, I don't want to pay this money. But like if you if you look at it into an investment to your to your future as an angler, it really is like pennies compared to what you would spend on buying all that stuff yourself to try and learn yourself. You know, everything will be provided for you that you need. And if you're trying to learn, that's the, the best way to go, especially in my opinion for ice fishing because a lot of guys love to fish in the summertime and then as soon as the winter time rolls around they're like ah ice fishing nah not for me you know and maybe eventually some of those guys and girls want to want to give ice fishing a try but they're not sure if uh you know it's really for them the best thing you can do is hire a guide because they have everything you need you can go try it out if you love it then you know that that's something you want to invest in for the future of, of, of angling for you and if you go out with a guide and you're not crazy because you don't like being out in the cold, even though we can be quite comfortable. Um, you know, it's like, you're no worse for wear in terms of a financial loss. You know, you, you help somebody out on the local economy and you probably more than likely went out, had a great time because you're going to be treated very well with a guide. Um, and uh, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, certainly the equipment side of things is a huge advantage for people. There's a lot of stuff you would not normally have access to unless you're basically going out and spending thousands of dollars. Um, every trip that I do, people are in a portable hut with a buddy heater. I provide all the propane if it's a fully equipped trip. Um, they have a flasher that they're getting to use for the trip. Rods are included. I give them lures to use. I have minnows stock in stock ready to take out. They provide the bait for the trip. So everything is basically included. I literally tell people when they call me and they're in a fully equipped, all they need to show up with is warm clothes, waterproof boots, fishing licenses, and bring drinks and snacks for the day. That's all you need to show up with. And there's there's no better way to have to to make your, make a fun day for yourself, honestly. Um pay a bit of money, go out on the on the water or on the ice and have fun with a guide, catch some fish and you have some cool stories to tell your friends and family when you're when you're done. But uh Definitely yeah. Some days uh some days when I'm getting all my fishing gear, my ice fishing stuff ready and I'm hauling it into the car and I'm getting it all ready, I'm thinking, man, you know, I would actually probably pay somebody to do this every once in a while for me. I just get to show up with snacks and stuff and go fishing and learn something. Yeah. Like, yeah, sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> Something else I noticed, Joe, when uh, 
when when I was out fishing with you, for those of you who don't know, um, I've been out fishing with Joe a few times now. There's a couple of videos of, of us, you know, slamming some monster walleye and uh, some huge drum. Um, but something I noticed is, you know, there's there's also that network of guides too, right? Like you've got some buddies or even just some buddy anglers that fish the bay a lot that, you know, you're in communication with. So it, you've also got that network, right? Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, certainly. Uh, there's, a, there's a few guys that we kind of share information among, and it definitely helps to try and stay on top of fish as best as possible. Um, it certainly can be a challenge as one person to try and, you know, be in all kinds of different places, seeing if there's fish there, fish there. So uh, certainly if you can have a good starting point, uh, it can definitely be to your advantage. Yeah, because for, for those of you who don't know, the Bay of Quinney is some big water. And right when you get into Lake Ontario, too, because that's, that's part of it, right? They're migrating. And maybe you can elaborate on that. They, they migrate, from my understanding, from Lake Ontario up into the Bay of Quinney and back. So yeah. what, the, what the walleye do is essentially uh, they spawn in the spring. So every late season basically around august september is when kind of the main migration starts to happen and then october november they're getting a lot further into the bay by the winter time the, the bay queenie is full of walleye and it that that's the time of the year when like there's a lot of large fish in the bay because they've all come into the bay to stage before they spawn in the rivers in the spring so they're just roaming around the bay feeding and just getting ready basically to staging in the bay before they run into the rivers and then they run into Trenton, Belleville, Napanee, some of the little creeks scattered around the bay and they use those rivers to spawn. And then as soon as the spawn happens, a lot of the bigger fish migrate back out to Lake Ontario, but there's also resident fish that live in the Bay of Quinney year round. And those are your kind of like your one to eight pounders, more like the two to five pound average kind of thing. Those, a lot of those fish live in the bay year round and you can catch them in the, in the bay anytime the season is open essentially. But those bigger fish, you only catch those in the bay in certain seasons when they migrate. Right, cool. we're, getting, uh, we're getting the masterclass on walleye migrations in the Bay of Quinney right now. That's awesome, <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> this is gonna be very valuable information for a lot of people later on. <laughs> no but that's all uh that's all really great and critical information if you're trying to target these fish for sure you know and that's the kind of knowledge that a guide will bring to your fishing experience as uh you know that little tidbit there is just uh, the tip of the iceberg with what you can expect especially if you go out with uh, our captain joe spence here which i would highly recommend by the way uh, I too was fortunate to go out with uh, with Joe and my boss last year, and we had a we had an absolute great time. Towed us out there with his uh, sled, and we had a wicked time on the ice. Caught some fish and headed back in, and that was it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Do you target Chinook uh, in this part of Lake Ontario? Like, uh, are, like when you're open water, like do you target Chinook in the summer? No, I don't. This area isn't as good for salmon as, for example, like the Western Basin, closer to like Coburg, Port Hope, Toronto, Hamilton, Niagara. Those areas are very, very popular for salmon and those rivers get huge runs. Our rivers here get a lot smaller runs and the depth of water isn't necessarily ideal for salmon to stick around here for the majority of the season so most people don't target salmon in this area they go west to the western side closer to 
the bigger cities uh, for targeting of specifically salmon. We do get lake trout here, which there's a good population of in the spring, but they tend to also kind of migrate out to deeper waters when it, the summertime hits. So, I mean, there is some areas that people will fish them out here, but you got to go a lot further away. Most people will go west and then you don't have to go as far offshore to fish them. Our side of the lake is more popular for walleye fishing than it is for anything else. And that's what most people come here for. Well, that makes sense. You hear about it being world renowned. The yeah, the, the Bay of Quinty is a world class walleye fishery. Uh, I mean, I've I've read I've read articles that say it is the best walleye fishery in the world. I don't know about that. I, I'm, I would be happy to say yes with that because I live so close to it, but I've never fished anywhere else <laughs> i mean except for so like the lakes around know. kingston so what i do want to know is is potters on fire right now oh god <laughs> anybody Inside from joke, anybody from 613 queen. fishing right now the bay of quinney fishing community is laughing right now um when yeah. you're asking about the best walleye fisheries the other one that i would say is up there would be lake erie lake erie produces a lot of big fish it's got very very high numbers of fish they have a larger limit there because there's such a high number of walleye that they're allowing people to take more fish and oh. it's uh it, it's one of the other ones that i would say is probably maybe comparable if not better maybe our well, maybe Bay Quinney is better in the winter time, like in certain okay. seasons, because we get the migration happening there. But in terms of total, like in terms of total population and general fishing, Lake Erie is up there too. That's uh, I think maybe I need to make a trip out to Lake Erie sometime. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's the biggest surprise you've pulled up, or or clients pulled up? I mean, you're fishing for one species. Like, what's the biggest surprise fish? would you say? It might be hard to... There was one day that we were out fishing and it was a really, really slow day and eventually we got a huge bite and uh, when we got into the boat we thought it was a pike and when I netted it it ended up being a tiger muskie out of Lake Ontario, which is the one, probably the only tiger muskie I've ever seen or heard of out of Lake Ontario. Like There's, a, there's not very many of them. Most of them are you know, the, the, I think there's spotted muskies for Lake Ontario mainly. I, I don't actually target muskie on Lake Ontario very much, but um, I, we, we did catch the, a, a hybrid tiger muskie, which was definitely probably the biggest surprise boat fish that we boated with clients in, I think, maybe. Wow. I think that's kind of like probably the top kind of surprise you can get. Like, not just a muskie, but a tiger muskie. They're... They're so rare as it is in, in these waters, like you mentioned. Yeah, most they're, waters. they're like unicorns in Lake Ontario. I went to Lake St. Clair, and apparently they are very common there. Huh. I heard some lakes are, yeah, more popular with the tiger muskies. And yeah, they're just a hybrid, right? Of a northern pike and a muskie. Yeah, hybrid of a pike and a muskie. Yeah, I think it just depends on the body of water and like what the populations are like in there. I think wow. the Kawartha's might have some tigers hanging out there too okay neat yeah the kawarthas uh adam adam is speaks very highly of the musky populations there in the kawarthas near where he lives so we gotta have to make a trip out there too i yeah, think ben do, yeah. ben ben you know you know something about muskies in the kawarthas don't you i may have touched a kawartha beast yeah yeah what was yeah, that like a, a 40 45 incher 
45 incher yeah but yeah. we're not talking about me so joe what's your <laughs> pb walleye like what's your biggest walleye i'm thinking 13 4 is the open that's open water and then 12 2 on the ice wow so how do you get that through the hole yeah i was just gonna say <laughs> It's surprisingly not as difficult as you think. Most of the time, those fish will fit through like an eight-inch hole, no problem. We've pulled up like fifteen-pound lake trout and stuff through eight-inch holes. Like it's not as bad as a lot of people think. Certainly, a ten-inch hole is a luxury if you really think there's a high chance you're going to get a monster make a double hole side by side, so you have a bigger space to get it through. Or even uh, some people make three-leaf clovers out of with their augers, so they have three holes and a clover shape just to give that extra space. If it's early season, you can just spot out, open a slightly bigger hole, and then you just you have a bigger hole to work with and don't have to worry about it if it's early enough and you're still using your spud to open up holes. Yeah, that's great if you have a, like an electric or a gas-powered auger. I would not recommend trying to make a clover leaf with a manual auger. I've tried it. It doesn't yeah. work well. <laughs> That is a gas or uh, gas or electric auger system for sure. <laughs> this this time yeah. of the winter is real bad for you if you've got an, a manual auger like I do, especially an eight inch one. It's uh yeah, it's uh, certainly an arm workout. But again, was, that's another benefit of hiring a guide because I know Joe has a nice auger. You can pop some holes in a couple seconds for you. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I always I like to bring my manual logger and throw it in the truck so it's there just in case you know anything happens and the gas logger doesn't want to work for me like to be over prepared but I I I still run a gas logger lots of people have switched to the electrics but my two stroke gas logger starts up in the freezing cold for me every time I never have issues with it so I just stuck with it. That's good. That's awesome. Hey man, whatever works, right? Like it's uh. If it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of stuff. But uh, I know me, for me personally, next season, I'll be, hopefully I'll be looking at an electric one. I'm not sure which brand of one, but one of them. To be honest with you, I'm not too picky. Just anything that's not a manual auger. <laughs> the challenge I have with the electric ones is an electric auger is almost double the price of like a gas auger. Like you can pick up a gas auger for 400 ish dollars brand new. And to get into the electric scene, you're pretty much 600, 800 kind of thing. Like you're literally almost talking double. So yeah, it's, it's quite the barrier to entry when you're trying to get into like a electric, anything right now, whether it's augers or cars and stuff, you know, it's crazy, but you know, it's uh, it is what it is. And I know a lot of guys that still run gas powered augers and, and they, those guys will say that they'll never switch. But uh, personally, I'm I'm gonna go electric with when I whenever it is that I get to buy one, I'm gonna go go electric for sure. Yeah, I just yeah. switched up from the six to the eight inch auger, and I didn't think it would be such a difference with trying to drill a hole. But you know, I can get through with the six inch pretty good. But jumping to that eight, man, it feels like I don't know. Maybe the auger's biting into it harder. Like I put new blades on it too, so maybe the the blades are just at the wrong angle because it bites and it just. Man, it, it's, it's been a little effort for sure. And also, like you said, the ice right now, the lake I was fishing on on the weekend, I was down on my knees trying to finish off the holes. Like, it was at least 14 inches right now. <laughs> yeah. I have some buddies that have the ions, and the ions definitely work really well. 
Um, but the one that I was extremely impressed with for a drill bit was the K drill. I have seen those in action a few times. I've seen a few people that have them. And they seem to do pretty well with just throwing it on like a DeWalt driller, Milwaukee brushless kind of thing. And they they hammer out the holes pretty good for uh, for just like a uh, an add-on to a drill, basically. Yeah. You said it's called a K-Drill? Is that a specific brand? Yeah, uh, K-Drill yeah, is the brand. Yeah, it's called K-Drill, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So the, the, yeah, I mean, that's great if you already have the drill. Right. Like if you if you have the drill and, and, and use it for other stuff, like that's fine. But if you're going to go buy a drill to use with uh, like a pistol bit that you're going to buy, then to, to get the kind of drill that you would need, the kind of quality that you would need, you're probably looking at about two or three hundred bucks just for the drill. And then the K drill, because I looked at them too. the the eight inch K drill, I think was like three hundred dollars. So then you're up to like six hundred dollars anyways for and I, once you get into that kind of price range, then. You're looking at the price range of the lower end ions and the lower end strike maths, uh, strike masters, the 24 volt ones, and all that stuff too. So, you know, you have a drill that you can use 12 months a year, and you're only drilling holes for two months a year. Yeah, exactly. But again, on the flip side, if you already have the drill, then it's definitely worth the investment to to look at something like a pistol bit, like you said, K drill. Eskimo makes a really good one. Um, I, the Canadian Tire one looks really good. Uh, I've never used it, but I've used their like little version of the clam plate. That worked really well. Unfortunately, my drill didn't work very well. I don't know if you remember that, Ben. I think yeah. we, we got through <laughs> one hole and it started smoking on me. <laughs> it's like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, that uh, was a little risky. The one yeah. thing that I think might uh, be a selling point for me is if the, the, the K-drill setup is lighter than the plastic or the electric setup you know um, i wonder if there's a big weight difference there because that's the one thing with the gas powered auger i'm not going to hold that into a brook trout lake then again brookie lake you only need like a six inch auger but still you know i'm not going to haul that thing into some back lake if i'm walking especially um, yeah that's for sure true yeah because they're they're big and heavy I'm very much a snowmobile onto the lake once i have the option to kind of guy so i don't mind having the extra weight of the gas auger <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, no I I do want to mention that Joe has a ski boost. I don't know if you still have it, but last year when my boss and I went out with Joe, <laughs> we took turns riding in in the the ski boost, which is basically like a I don't know, how would you describe that, Joe? But it was fun as heck. Uh, <laughs> they're they're old school from like the 70s. Like we used to have them as kids and you just ride around in them kind of thing, but it's just a fiberglass unit with a seat in it that's on like a steel frame with skis that hooks up to the hitch of the snowmobile so i i use that from time to time and it gets yeah gives me the ability to you know get a couple extra people moving at the same time that is awesome depends on the conditions when we when we took it out with you it was a little snowy and slushy it probably wasn't the best day for it because i do uh mess around with it a couple times to get things going yeah well between your gear and my gear and my boss's gear you were towing you know the ski boost and three sleds behind you <laughs> it was uh it was quite the experience it was a lot of fun we and we had a great time so what other uh, what other species do you get roaming through the bay in the winter or is it just flooded with walleye do they just like choke out the system really 
No, uh, I mean, definitely there is a huge population of perch out there. So a lot of people go to Lake Pimcoe just to target perch, but we probably have, I would say, just as good a perch fishing on the Bay of Quinney as what is available on Lake Pimcoe. Like regular fish between 10 and 14 inches are caught and even some bigger than that, which is all you can really hope for if you're hoping to target some perch kind of thing. So there's definitely a good population of perch that floods into the bay in the wintertime. Um, certainly the odd pike here and there. Um, and some of the rough species, like you get the odd like silver bass or just random things like that that happen to come up from time to time. But it's, it's definitely mostly walleye and perch. Do you get yeah, any yeah. drum through the ice? I have never caught a drum through the ice. The odd picture surfaces from time to time drum through the ice. But I believe that the drum just goes so dormant in the wintertime that they don't really feed. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I've never I heard I've never heard of anybody feed. catching drum through the ice. Yeah. Well, and also I'm thinking about, you know, like trying to reel them in on like a full size setup rod and reel versus trying to reel them in on like a little ice ice rod, like Oh man, that would be a challenge. <laughs> if you had one, you would think you had the biggest walleye of your life on. Can you imagine trying to fight like a like a seven or eight pound or even a ten pound drum on an ice fishing rod with like a, just a tungsten jig head, uh, you know, and then trying to pull that up through like a six inch hole? <laughs> oh, that would you'd, nev you'd never get it up. Yeah. Be wild. Well, big drum not even fit through an eight inch hole. That's that's where you need the jumbo hole, but. Yeah. No, no, uh, they're rarely caught in the winter time. They're just they just seem to get super hungry in the summertime on the bay. So um, I'd like to hear a little bit about why you like why and and how you got into guiding and and all that stuff. I think I think uh, some of our listeners might like to know that information too. You're you're kind of a local legend, like I mentioned here uh, in the Kingston area. Everybody knows about Blue Rock Charters for if you're looking for fishing guides. So I'd love to hear about how you got into it and why you got into it. Yeah, so I mean, I've been fishing the area for years. Um, I started out doing some tournaments and stuff like that, but it wasn't really my favorite thing. It was fun from time to time to do, but um, I don't know. It just kind of worked out this way. Um, and in, the way I was working with my employer and I left, for another job and then went back to them. It just kind of gave me the option to have a really flexible schedule. So I decided to kind of get things started. I went and got my captain's license and my commercial insurance and bought a brand new boat. That was kind of the big thing. I, I had already had a used boat that I had for quite some time. I already owned a snowmobile. I had a whole pile of gear. Like I had a good portion of what I needed to kind of get started, but I needed that boat and uh, all the other stuff that I needed to kind of legally operate my business. And I just went for it and started out slow and eventually things kind of just took off. It didn't, I'm in my third, I guess my fourth season now, because this is my fourth ice season. I'll be going into my fourth boating season now. So it's steadily picked up every year and I've gotten busier and busier, but I still work another job because it's still seasonal work. It has its ups and downs in terms of when I'm busy and when I'm slow. And uh, it's worked out well that I have kind of both jobs so that I can still, you know, pay my bills during the month, but I don't do any trips because that does happen in like March. 
between March and April is very quiet and basically the month of December I don't really do very much if anything unless we get super early in fishing season which rarely happens basically okay. like in between those the end of one season and the beginning of the next kind of thing I, I would imagine those yep. shoulder seasons are tough for fishing <laughs> yeah 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 I mean, my, my season personally doesn't, I don't, I don't usually have any downtime in my transition. I usually go directly from ice fishing to the boat and directly from the boat to ice fishing with like usually no downtime within the two because there's options between Lake Ontario being open and the back lakes being frozen still that usually that's kind of the way that it works so is that you can kind of just keep fishing, but for taking clients out, my insurance only lets me take people out until November 30th and then start again as of April 1st. So then anything outside of that is just when I have ice fishing. Interesting. Stuff, so stuff. something I'd like to ask about, if you can get into it a little bit, like is like, what are the expenses that you have as a fishing guide? You know, a lot of people don't see that. They assume probably the basics of gas, you know, but apart from that, like what are your expenses? Uh, equipment's a big one for sure. Having gear that is working and having enough of it that you can have everything that you need for everybody that's you're taking out basically is definitely a big one. Like I had a buddy here that just was kind of being finicky on me the other day. So I was just like, I went and bought two more buddy heaters because I can't have heaters not working for me when I'm taking people out and it's minus 20 kind of thing. So just stuff like that adds up real quick sometimes. And, uh, like having flashers for everyone and just all that equipment that I constantly have to maintain and all that kind of stuff. Propane in the winter time is a big one. Just making sure that I have the heat for everybody and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, but certainly gas is a big one for sure, especially with the prices that we're seeing right now. I put gas in my snowmobile at 170 the other day. I almost cried a little bit. Ooh. Yikes. <laughs> Yeah, gotta love, gotta love those small, yeah. small engines that need the premium fuel, right? For sure. And then obviously commercial insurance is way more expensive than just regular insurance that everyone else kind of gets. So there's those expenses that come along with that for boat fishing and for ice fishing kind of thing. Yeah. And it all adds up as well. Like all those little things and like yeah. you said, you have to be prepared to like keep things maintained and up and going. Like you can't be out a piece of gear on the day that you have four clients showing up. Yeah. Commercial insurance doesn't uh, change when the pandemic doesn't let you do business either. So when the government shuts you down, you have to just keep paying kind of thing and keep yourself afloat during those months. So that, that wasn't the best, but hopefully we don't have to deal with that again. Here's hoping. Here's hoping yeah. that we don't go back to uh, go back to that. I got a question. Is there like, so when you're out there, I remember when we were trolling, like you're, you're constantly looking at the other boats. I mean, you got to pay attention to where they're going and where they're coming from and where they're heading to. Um, is there kind of like a trolling etiquette? I mean, like if you see, like, is there, yeah, is there any kind of like trolling etiquette as far as like keeping distance from certain boats or is there a certain amount of distance you try and keep or is it just kind of don't be a, a dink? Pardon my language. <laughs> Definitely the third rule applies in all scenarios. But uh, I mean, the, the big thing for the most part is that um, like when you're trolling with planer boards, you spread your lines out. So, I mean, just keeping a reasonable distance between everybody's outside boards is kind of standard. 
uh, making sure when you know you're coming head on make a very clear movement so that one boat can tell if you're turning right or turning left on your trolling line so that they can hopefully do their move their boat accordingly <laughs> um so what advice what advice would you give to somebody who has never hired a guide before and they're looking to hire a guide like uh on how, how they would how they how they would act kind of things that they might bring to make their trip a little bit more memorable um what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's looking to hire somebody like you um that's a tough question it, i think it all depends on what each person's individual situation is and why they're looking at hiring a guide like people hire guides for different reasons and i mean certainly i think most people know that if they're doing kind of a fully equipped trip which is a lot of what i do they don't need to bring a whole lot and then we provide everything. So they're just bringing kind of the bare minimums. And uh, in most cases, it's, they're good to go kind of thing. Um, so I, I think it's more just about kind of figuring out what you want out of it, whether you're just looking to get out fishing. Some people are just traveling and they, they're not specific about what they want to fish for. They just want to fish. Some people are specific about what they want to target. So just, making sure that they kind of communicate what they're looking for and plan so that we can kind of plan around specifically what that is. And that makes it a lot easier. That's uh, that's actually a really good point <laughs> that I, and that, that I didn't even think of um, is to, to make sure that you know what you want out of a guiding trip before you, before you book it, <laughs> instead of just saying, take me fishing. And then, you know, have this misconceived notion that you're going to go out and have a hundred percent chance of catching like this big giant fish. And then if for whatever reason that doesn't happen, because as we all know, the fish don't care that you're trying really hard or that you've hired a guide, right? <laughs> sometimes it just, sometimes it just doesn't work out. Right. But uh, yeah, definitely a mindset like that is probably a good thing to have. I know that um, for me specifically, uh, hopefully I'd, I'd like to get out with you uh, this summer uh, so you can teach me how to troll for walleye because that would be that would be my intention of of hiring a guide is to learn how to do that better so that when i go out in my own boat then i i know what i'm doing because i tried it this summer and i i'm one of those people who tries to be self-taught for everything which is probably not the best way to learn how to do things so i'll, I'll be looking hours trying to catch walleye on the bay of Quinney. yes yes <laughs> Yeah. yeah, more more so. I spent more time this summer trying to catch walleye than I did any other species, probably combined. Um, and I I pretty much failed miserably at it. <laughs> with with one exception, with one exception, I had a really good day where I I caught a limit, and that's the first time, the first and only time I've ever caught a limit of walleye. Um, so I'll I'll be I'll be looking for that uh, that sweet sweet knowledge from you this summer. I think. What was your experience? Because I, I remember you, uh, I think it was this year, or maybe last year, you went out on a fishing trip and you paid a fishing guide to take you out fishing. So was there like a different perspective that you may have had on it when you went into it, being a fishing guide, hiring a fishing guide? And I know what you were targeting, but how about you let the audience know what you're targeting and how you did? I have lots of sympathy for slow days. <laughs> Fair, yeah. Uh -huh. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I've, uh, I mean, I've gone on several guided trips. It's certainly something that I do as well as a guide. I have uh, a certain appreciation for when we, when I go places using that type of service, because I mean, for me, a lot of times it doesn't make sense to try and travel with my bow or if we're somewhere far, even further away, it's not even an option. So it's nice to be able to fish when traveling kind of thing. So, uh, like we've gone on a few guided trips. Uh, my partner, Jen and I have been like, she's taken me salmon trolling up for my birthday one year as a surprise. Uh, we've gone to BC and we've done sturgeon fishing and we've gone to Lake St. Clair and, uh, gone out there and it was just, it's like a six hour drive and I've never fished the lake before. It did not make sense to tow my boat. I don't have, a full set of musky gear. I have enough musky gear to just do some personal casting and stuff like that. Um, but I don't have a full musky trolling system set up on my boat. So to me, it, if somebody else has the equipment, that's way more logical if I'm not doing it on an ongoing basis to hire someone who already has all the proper equipment to do that kind of stuff. Cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Does that, I mean, have you had any guides come through yet and hire you yet? Um, that is a maybe good question. Help, maybe they don't identify themselves as being guides. <laughs> I don't remember specifically offhand, but I may have at some point in time. I'm, there isn't one that's specifically ringing a bell offhand, but cool. it's very possible. <laughs> For this ice season. If you were to give some advice to somebody who's coming down to uh, to try and fish the Bay of Quinty without giving away any spots or, or any of the secret sauce, what kind of advice would you give somebody who's looking for maybe that trophy walleye out of the Bay of Quinty this year? Electronics make a huge difference. If you're fishing without a flasher, you are going to spend a lot more time not catching anything. If you're going to the Bay of Quinty, you basically want to have electronics in front of you. Um cover water if you're not marking fish like if you go out and set up and you're going hours and you're just not marking anything it might be time to shuffle around a little bit unless you specifically know that you are in a spot where the walleye are coming in at sunset or first thing in the morning but if you're set up first thing in the morning and you're not marking anything it's time to probably move on <laughs> well that's that's bad for me <laughs> Because, like I said, I have a manual auger, and uh, it's not so easy for me to, to make my holes in the, the 14 or however many inches are, are on much of the bay right now. I'll set my hut up and then go move somewhere else. But, um, but you got to put in the work. Yeah, and that's true. So, But, you know, you're, you're hearing the advice from the professional right now, and uh, even if it sucks to pack up your stuff and move, it might just be the the key that gets you your fish instead of leaving skunked like I often do. <laughs> sometimes a small move in, a, in the same area that you're in can make a big difference. And sometimes the area has just doesn't, isn't holding fish and it's time to make a big move and you need to leave that access point and go to a totally different access point and go on and have a better chance of there being a larger population of fish around. What you want to look for is marks on your flasher as a starting point because that's how you know if there's actually walleye around. So you, you want to be looking at the flasher to determine like how many fish are you marking in those peak periods, basically at sunrise and sunset. 
And are you marking enough fish that there's a high percentage chance that if you can get one active enough to bite that you're going to be able to get it to bite kind of thing? Because um, that's your best chance of being able to hook one if you're going out there for the first time and you don't know where you're going is you, you need to kind of be in an area that's at least holding enough fish that even if there's only a few of those ones that are active enough that they're going to bite that you can hopefully get one too. Right, right. Cool. Can you talk, I, I understand if you can't, but can you mention some of the ice fishing baits that you use on the Bay of Quinney, one of the most popular ones? Absolutely, yeah. Buckshots, I'm, I'm big on buckshots. I, I'm, I've used those for years. They're a staple on the Bay. Uh, Quint, the uh, Mr. Champs, I, I use a lot of Mr. Champs. Um, rattle baits are starting to grow in popularity. Um, jigging wraps are used to be pretty popular. They seem to be less popular now than they used to be, but they used to be a really popular bait on the bay that they still catch fish. Um, everyone these days is uh, using a slender spoon. I haven't really got on the slender spoon bandwagon, but they catch fish. I know that they do. So it's cool. A, a lot of what I do when it comes to baits also kind of depends on where I'm fishing. Certain areas in the bay, usually the skinnier water, um, has more current, and you have to fish heavier jigs in those areas, or you're not going to mark your your jig on your flasher properly. So certain areas you don't have an option but to fish, for example, a three quarter ounce jigging spoon, or maybe something that's like on the heavier side of bait. Versus if you're in an area with no current or low current, you can fish almost anything you want, like some of those fluttering spoons and things like that. They just you, they don't weigh anything, but they grab weight, they grab current. Um, so so some of it will be dependent on that. If we're fishing somewhere with current, then I'm going to put heavier lures on for everybody just so that they can properly mark their lures and be able to get it as, you know, straight up and down below the hole as they can for marking purposes and for playing the fish purposes so it's not blowing way off. But there, there's days where even areas that don't normally have current will have so much current that like a three quarter ounce bait will blow so far away that you can barely mark it and you have to drill a hole further away so that you can get your transducer to mark your lure kind of thing. Usually that happens when there's really high winds on the bay, I find is the, the, the biggest time. If you get out there and there's no, 50k gusts happening and Lake Ontario is moving there's a better chance that there's going to be some current out there pushing water if you're in a higher current area in general good to know very cool yeah 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 I know like um the the couple of times that I've been out ice fishing uh this year and last year I was in an area where like one day I went out two two days in a row and one day I went out and there was like you said a lot of that current I had to fish a little bit of a heavier tungsten jigs to to get my bait down into that area that I was looking at so I could still mark it. And then I went back to the same spot the next day and it's like there was no current at all. So like uh, I, I've experienced exactly what you were just talking about and I was so confused as to what the heck was going on. But now that makes sense, yeah. On really windy days, I've had it blowing one way, super heavy, and then it'll change and blow the exact opposite way, super heavy on the same day like it's not there there's just things out there that happen there's tides that happen on the bay the, the lake ontario water pushes the water levels up and down when you get a south wind from the united states it blows our water from lake ontario to this side as its side and it will raise water levels on the canada side 
And same thing with you, if you get a heavy north wind, it'll push the water to the south side and our water levels will drop down and that will pull water in or push water out of the bay because the bay is part of Lake Ontario. Yeah, wow. So that also like uh, suggests why, you know, uh, the ice is so unpredictable out there um, on the Bay of Quinney. I, I don't think we've got into that too much, but for those who don't know, like the ice on the Bay of Quinney is very unpredictable and can change too. Um, you know, it can be, I mean, Joe, I think you can speak better on this and how much it can change. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's different areas of the Bay. Uh, some areas with low current, usually wide open areas tend to have better ice conditions um there's areas out there right now with 14 inches on them and there's areas right now that are almost open water or close to it that you wouldn't even want to walk on so you do kind of need to know where you're going if you're going out on the bay um you don't want to just kind of hop on the ice especially if you don't see anybody else around that's not a good sign on a weekend or anything like that um but yeah, I mean, this year we're getting, we have better ice conditions than, than ever. So people seem to be more spread out on the bay than some years. Some years the ice conditions are so poor that you're, everyone's kind of stuck in similar areas where there's decent ice conditions. So it's kind of nice when we get these years where there's actually decent conditions and people will spread out a little bit better and machines can go a little further and stuff like that than uh years where we have really really poor ice conditions and you're really kind of stuck with what you got for ice cool mm. well i got one more question and then jeff if you've got any questions drop them but after that i want to get to that fishing story we asked joe to prepare a fishing story his favorite fishing story and yes if you know the ugly pike podcast i'm taking a page out of their books copying is the biggest form of flatterism so if you're hearing <laughs> this guys it's an amazing idea so we're gonna have Joe tell a fishing story, but first, I got a question. Jeff might have something, and then we'll get on with that. When you're uh, fishing with clients, um, do you do a lot of tip-ups, or are you jigging and then having a dead stick rod with the client as well? Do you find tip-ups are good on the Bay of Quinney, or what do you think? Uh, when it comes to Bay of Quinney fishing, I do not use tip-ups at all. Uh, you will find that if you go out on the bay, you probably will not find any local out there set up with tip-ups out there with them. Everybody is just jigging, basically. Um, some people will set up two holes in their hut uh, and they'll have, you know, two rods, have a dead stick and a jigging stick. I'll normally just fish one rod. I am, uh, that's just my preference. The odd, I, I like to keep a couple handy so I can switch baits that I have down there, but I just fish one rod when I'm sitting in my hut by myself. Um, but, um, yeah, de definitely no tip-ups or dead sticks. No, you, you won't find anyone doing that. And it's just usually very unproductive, uh, in terms of the type of fishing that we have. A lot of the time you, in order to get the walleye to bite, you need to be playing the fish on the electronics. And that's kind of what it comes down to. I mean, I spent years fishing out there without electronics and we used to still catch fish. But now that I have them, I can't believe I fished so long without them. It's uh yeah. It's a whole yeah. other whole other game. I don't have any more questions for you, Joe. And uh I think All we'll right. we'll move to the chat. There was so, there was that one from Tacklebox Tony, but he was talking about su suspending uh walleye at twenty feet of uh, water. And he clarified and said he's he is it true that they suspend at twenty feet in all depths? 
the big the big ones so like in general even when we're fishing deeper water they definitely suspend especially in deeper water in particular i mean they'll 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 suspend at all depths you'll have big fish that will be up high you'll have big fish that will be down low but most people that are fishing on the bay of queenie will target fish in the top 30 feet of water because there's active fish up there and if you're catching fish below 30 feet there's a higher chance that you're going to uh like the fish is going to get the bend and it's going to have trouble being able to go back down afterwards so um that's why for the most part you'll find that a lot of people and that's, that's what i do is try and target fish in the top water column top part of the water column even if you're targeted even if you're fishing deeper water so that you're not killing these giant fish that you're catching in the fall because that's the most common time to be fishing that deeper water is you know in the in the late fall season when people are you know trolling up to 100 120 feet stuff like that but just keeping the lures in the top half of the water column basically right right cool. You know, that brings up a good point that, that I'd like to, to talk about, and that is um, the, the topic of selective harvest and ethical fishing and all that stuff. Uh, like we said, the Bay of Quinte is a world-class walleye fishery, and uh, we can keep it that way by practicing our selective harvest. I mean, I know because of the zoning, um, you know, you're allowed to keep one fish that's like, you know, pretty big for the size because of, uh, you know, the fishing management zone 20, which is different than... 18, which is basically north of Kingston, uh, Kingston and, and all most of the areas north of Kingston. But I would urge anybody who's watching or listening to this that if you catch that, catch that big, big monster that you release them because the the really, really big fish are often the the prime broodstock, the females that are going to spawn more fish like her and big fish like her, you know, for years to come. And uh, we don't want to remove fish like that from the fishery. Uh, we need them to stay there so that they can keep producing the trophy walleyes that people go to the Bay of Quinty for. So if you're going to go there to try and get some tableware, you know, keep the keep the ones that are around that that zone 18 a slot size limit, which is I believe uh, around 16 into 19 inches, kind of kind of thing, you know, and it's just going to help the fishery overall. And it means that you might be able to go back and catch that trophy walleye again someday. I find with Bay Aquini because there's the the overall fish size is larger. In general, a, a good size for keeping out there is about the two to four pound range. I go by pounds because I'm used to weighing fish, but that's probably kind of like your, you know, 18 to 22 inch fish. Those are kind of your ideal eater size fish. Five and six pounders are kind of like a selective keep them if you're having a slow day. Anything over six pounds, I'm putting back in the water. I don't normally keep those ones. Um, and certainly I uh, recommend anything in the, in the bigger seven, eight, nine, ten 10 pound class is ideal to release when possible. If yeah. your fish is dying anyway, because you've hooked it in the gills or things like that, that's a totally different story, obviously. But when you have a healthy fish that's you know, a monster, certainly uh, I like to make sure we're practicing catch and release whenever possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. So your fishing story, Joe, let's hear it. So I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the, probably the one that I mentioned earlier, which was the sturgeon fishing trip. That's probably the highlight of all the fishing that I have done today. 
Um, we went out to uh, British Columbia and I booked a trip on the Fraser River and uh, we went out sturgeon fishing and it was absolutely incredible. It took a little while and that's where I say I, uh, I have the sympathy for guides when there's a slow day happening, but when you're out fishing for sturgeon, you're not there to catch a whole bunch of them. You're there for a monster. So uh, the first one that I hooked into was huge. It was like a seven footer. And um, wow. it took a while to reel in. Like we just sat there with the rod bent over it, swam around the sides of the boat back and forth. And it like you, we couldn't even bring it in the boat. We just held it by the boat side and got a good picture, tried to get a good picture of it the best we could. That one, I, uh, I didn't have a good grip on it. And it gave me a little head shake and shook off and swam away. So the, the picture I got of that one wasn't the best. We got a better picture of the second one that uh, that I caught. But right after I caught that one, which was crazy to reel in to begin with just as on its own, the guy sets the line back out and another one bites within probably five or ten minutes. So then I got, I'm reeling in a second one after my arms are sore from reeling in the first one and uh they were just jello by the time i got that one to the boat it was probably the hardest fighting it, it was for sure the hardest fighting fish that i've ever fought i think he had 200 pound braid and like 600 pound leader on it or something like that that we were fighting the fish they were all like just crazy monster reels with super heavy duty rods like it was and even those heavy duty rods were just bent right over it was absolute insanity if you're in bc it is 100% worth going and doing that while you were there. It's definitely cool. a, a bucket list <laughs> trip for me is to go fish for sturgeon out on the Fraser. Wow. That would be incredible for sure. Seven so, feet long. Yeah, we got, I think one was six and one was seven feet long. We didn't measure them, but that's what the guide that we were with ballparked them at. So I'll take their word for it on that one. But they were they were big fish for sure. Like not like anything I've ever seen in in Ontario anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah, because we do have sturgeon here in Ontario, but I think there's only one zone that you're legally allowed to target them for catch and re release only, and it's a very small window. Uh, of time yeah. where you're allowed to do that like you're not allowed to target them at any time in most of the most of the zones here in ontario the, the closest place that you can do it around this area is you can go to quebec and you can do it around the montreal area there's a few guys out that way that do specifically sturgeon trips on uh, the saint lawrence river oh, and okay. uh, you, you can do it there oh that's but good that's news the closest place well, maybe maybe um, that'll be a, a plan for me instead of trying to plan a trip out to the West Coast. So, Joe, where can people reach you? Uh, the best way to reach me is probably by phone. So it's 613-983-FISH or 613-983-3474. Um, you can find all the information for my business on bluerockcharters.com. I try and keep the website up to date as possible with information on dates, prices, uh, what type of fishing is available and what season, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, in terms of booking, just calling, texting, that's my cell phone. So that's the best way to reach me directly. There's also cool. a link to uh, Joe's website in the description of this live stream and uh, in the show notes of the podcast as well. 
something else about that website even if you're not interested in booking right now joe's got some amazing resources on there if you're fishing in the area or if you're going to travel to this area to do some fishing there's like uh access points on there he's got a list of all the bait shops in the area uh, there's a ton of good resources on there as well so uh definitely check that website out if you're fishing in the area and we got a good question here from drew ontario how what do you like we're supposed to wrap this up but i think this is a great question joe what do you think of the full moon and how it affects the bay of quinney do you find it affects walleye fishing i uh, i dread the full moon trip sometimes because <laughs> i find that in some cases uh the walleye i think feed like at night and then the daytime bite just isn't on if we have a full moon and a clear sky going on in some cases um so the, the moon is definitely a factor in the walleye bite um yeah very yeah, we're getting into like solar calendar, like scientific <laughs> theories and stuff now with that question. <laughs> I wonder what the like what the what the reason behind that might be. I mean, obviously, a full moon is gonna and a clear night is gonna give off more ambient light. So I guess is it something like they you know they can they like walleye already see very well you know based on their their physiology of the science stuff about their eyes or whatever. But do you think that extra bit of light from a full moon in the evening time with a with a clear sky just allows them to feed that much better overnight, and then that's why the bite turns off in the day? Yeah, well, walleye are nocturnal. They feed at night in general. They'll feed during the day and at night, but they will feed more heavily at night. And I'm guessing that uh, they can see the bait significantly more easy, easily when there is a full moon and a clear sky because it probably shines onto the bait and whatever advantage they have to be able to see things at night if they're feeding at night they'll take advantage of their opportunistic feeders so um, of course but then but then when you go and try and target them and you're trying to imitate that bait during the daytime and get them to bite again if they've been feeding all night long they may be less likely to bite during the daytime that makes i think sense. uh I think people underestimate how much light can actually penetrate the snow and ice, especially, you know, like in the wintertime, right? Um, but it, it, it actually can make it through quite a bit of snow and ice and make it quite bright down there, right? I don't know. Am I wrong? Am I wrong in thinking that? Because I feel like sometimes when you drill a hole in the daytime, especially like even if there's like, you know, a bunch of snow on top of the ice, you drill a hole, you can still see like pretty clearly. It's in clear water, of course. Is that a, not a common misconception or no? I don't know. No, it definitely does block a fair bit of light. Like, I, it, there is a difference between fishing clear ice and fishing snowy ice when it comes to fishing as well, because snowy ice will be darker underneath it. If you, I don't know if you guys ever fish with, like, uh, cameras, but if you try and use a camera down there when there's snow covering the ice, it is very different from fishing clear ice with sun coming through it for, for fishing conditions with a camera. So I, I think that it, the snow makes a fair bit of difference, but um, definitely when there is no snow on the ice, that like full moon can definitely make a big difference in those scenarios for sure. And like, I can even like, I'll go snowmobiling at night. And when there's a full moon when are, and, the, and there's snow all over, 
that full moon reflects off of the snow and it's light everywhere. Like you can see everything without needing a flashlight in a full moon at like any time it's dark, basically, if it's up there. Of course. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So I think uh, we're going to start wrapping this up. Do you have anything, uh, any closing remarks there, Ben? No, I think it's been great having you on the podcast, Joe. Uh, thanks for joining us and, and sharing this information. We know that you like, this is kind of how you make some of your bread and butter. So sharing some of these secrets can be a little, you know, uh, I would be a little apprehensive probably. <laughs> so thanks for, thanks for sharing what you did. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, thanks for having me. I, uh, I had a fun time. This is a fun new experience for me. So I enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll have to have you on the show again. Maybe, uh, maybe in the summertime, we'll talk about some more summertime fishing techniques from the pro. But uh, yeah, thank you very I'm much in. for joining us. You've been a great guest. And to all of you who've been uh, watching us live or listening to this podcast, thanks again for listening. I do have one more, just one more thing that I want to mention. Um, we've started a little bit of a donation page for the podcast. If you guys want to support the podcast, you can go to the link in the description of this video or uh, in the show notes of your podcast, and you can uh, buy us a Discord server. Basically, it's just a small donation. It goes towards keeping our Discord server uh, at a, the level that it is, and that helps us increase the audio quality and the video quality, and it just makes the podcast better overall. Uh, so if you guys are, are interested in supporting us in any way, that's the best way to do it. Helps us out, and then uh, we can produce a better product for you guys. Until the next Fish on Podcast, see you guys later. See you.